Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all. And can I ask you to please um, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians? We're going to finish up chapter 9 today. I'll call this part two of chapter 9. Uh, last week was part one. Um, we're going to pick up in verse 15. We've come as far as uh, verse 14. And again, staying in the context of chapter 8, it's really important I keep referencing us back to that because we're in the context of chapter 8. And, and really the whole point is if Paul was willing to deny himself an important right, do you remember what that right was? It was to receive financial support from the Corinthian church. Um, and he says he did it for the good of the gospel. It wasn't because he did it for any other reason but the good of the gospel. And then he makes his position in that, that then, of course, if he's willing to do that as an apostle, how much more than just the body of, of Christ as well, deny their rights, and specifically to Corinth, to do what? Remember, to eat meat sacrifice at the idol temple if it was going to stumble someone. And that's really the whole point, if it's going to stumble someone that way. So now we move into the next verses where Paul's going to express his desire to leave uh, his rights unclaimed, if I can say it that way. He's going to, he's going to come back, and this, this passage and section is very, very important in Scripture. I'm going to be going through a number of Scriptures with you here this morning. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians together because we get a little bit uh, additional information in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 as an example and chapter 12 under not only why Paul was just doing this, but even the heart that was going in. We, we kind of almost start to see a little bit of, can I say holy sarcasm, if there's such a thing, from Paul because something was going on in Corinth where they, you know, they just were not willing to receive the gospel uh, you know, plainly, if I can say it that way, plainly, naturally, okay? And it seems like they kept coming back, and they really never settled those things from chapters 2 and, and really even chapter 1, when who's of Apollos, who's of Cephas, you know, this division, the secretarianism that was going on. But clearly he's moved past that, but, but it seems like as he goes on and continues to bring up additional things, he's, he's making sure that he references back to the fact, you know, he's done, uh, he's dealt with the sexual and the immorality within the church. You know, he's dealt with the, the right behavior within the church, chapter 6. And then now he's, he's going to focus really 9, 10, 11 on idolatry in some capacity or another. Um, and also love for a brother or sister, and that our knowledge can only puff up, and yet love can only edify. So as we take this all in, in sort of a, a culmination, we, we arrive at the point that Paul is echoing exactly what Jesus Christ said when he said, love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love others, right, as ourselves, or better than ourselves, I would, I would add to that if I could say it that way. So that's what we see here. And, and honestly, I would suggest to you this morning, those are the ingredients of a healthy church because those are the ingredients of a healthy believer. You, you see, when you get healthy believers together, uh, that forms the body of Christ. The church is never the building. It's the healthy believer that comes into the building that forms the body of Christ as we understand it in Scripture. And isn't that the journey we're all on? I mean, we, we, we want to be healthy believers. I mean, what did God say in chapter 4? That corporately the Holy Spirit exists and is present in all of us when we gather together as the body of Christ. And then didn't he say in chapter 6 the same way that the Holy Spirit also 
is in the individual believer. No longer in the, 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 just the holy of holies in that area, but he's come to live in our hearts. So these things that sometimes can happen in churches where we begin to teach or we begin to suggest that things become routine or we have a, a schedule, because I don't know about you, but in, your, in my life, I know that when I repeat things over and over again, sometimes there can become a, a schedule or a pattern to it. Do you know what I mean? Uh, getting in the car, you know, d- d- turning the key on. I have the same uh, machinations every time I do it, right? I, I don't kind of, you know, do something different. I, I put the seatbelt on, I start the car, I look in the mirror, I move, you know, it, it, I pray as I move, you know, that, that's pretty much what I do. We become the same way. And I think if we're not careful, we can approach Christianity in that same fashion. And that's the exhortation that I believe Paul has us for this morning. And so I, I'd like us to bow our heads and really ask God to show us our hearts here and then really lay things down to pick up Christ. Amen? To put on Christ. Father, uh, we come before you here, Lord. Certainly not in routine, not in going through the motions, Lord. We've come to worship you, and now we come to hear from your holy word, Lord. We desire that you would show us, Lord, um, more of our heart, no matter how good or difficult that could be. Lord, that we would be in right relationship with you. We pray, Lord, that you would Again, lay down these things, help us to lay down these things from the week. That as we we start our, our new week here, Lord, that we would be more like you, ever decreasing of ourselves and ever increasing in you, Jesus. And I, I pray, Lord, that these words here this morning, Lord, they're not just words on a page, but God, you breathe them. You've taken each uh, letter, each symbol, Lord, and you've perfectly knitted together to continue to remind us of your love, to continue to teach us how to be obedient, to continue to, to protect us and keep us from the ways of the world. Lord, I pray as we enter into this this morning that you would have all of us. As we sang, we surrender all. I surrender all. Lord, let it not be a mantra. Let it be a heartfelt, willing belief. And I just pray this for all of us here this morning. In your name, Jesus Christ, with your strength, all things are possible. Amen. Well, if we look here at verse 15 in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, it says, But I have used none of these things, nor have I written these things, that it should be done so to me. For it would be better for me to die than anyone should make my boasting void. So Paul was speaking in the context that he had the right to be supported, right? I mean, we understand that. He read in verse 14, we read, excuse me, in verse 14, God spoke. Even so, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. He describes it, Matthew and Luke, uh, paraphrase the exact sentiments here. The idea is that a minister is to live according to the gospel. Eat, son of man, what I give you to eat. As much as it was preached to Ezekiel and the prophets, it has not changed, will never change. God provides for his own. You are his children. He provides for you. He's certainly going to provide for the under shepherds. God is going to provide for the flock. 
That's what he does. That's who he is, right? It'll never change. He's a good father. We sing that song, you're a good, good father, right? And then, you know, who are we? We are your children, right? That's who we are. Well, Paul used uh, this this note here, this point to, to go back to the fact that he had the right to be supported, but he chose not to use this right. And he says, nor have I written these things. And he's, he's building a rationale. He's, he's constructing the argument. He wasn't hinting in any way for support from the Corinthian church. Sometimes you've, you've seen that. Pastors can have a way of hinting, right? Paul's not hinting here. Uh, the reason he was giving up one's right was, again, for the what? The gospel that it was not going to trip or ensnare anyone, right? Because because of all the division and sectarianism, Paul's going to make it a very intentional, deliberate uh, uh, fact that he in no way is peddling something contrary to what Jesus Christ teaches. No matter how many men in that city of Corinth, in that church of Corinth, decide to stand up and say, well, I'm an apostle like Paul, and then use it for financial gain. Well, why do I say that? I'm, I'm going to bring you to those passages in 2 Corinthians because Paul writes about it there that that's exactly what was going on in the undertow or the undertone. He says, it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. Right? What, what was the only thing that Paul could ever boast of? The gospel of Jesus Christ. He could never boast of himself. And how much more you and I, Right? It wasn't boasting that he even preached the gospel. For Look at verse 16. What's he say? He had a necessity to do that. It was a necessity that was laid upon him. That wasn't even his doing, if I could say it that way. Even though to preach the word of God was a necessity laid upon him by God himself. Instead, his boasting was he was able to do that because the only reason was Jesus Christ. And the gospel, he could boast in the truth of the word of God, just like you and I can today. There's nothing greater than when we can stand back and say, this word is perfect. It's right. It's holy and true. It's reliable. And there's, there's no reason for us to ever veer from it. There's no reason for us to ever doubt it. There's no other published work in the world that has the accuracy that has the word from God's own lips that was meant to be planted within our hearts that will do us right all the days of our lives. There's, not, there's nothing else like it. There's nowhere else to search. There's nowhere else to run. There's, there's nothing else that you will read that will ever draw you into a close relationship with Christ other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And, and again, much as we've been reading in, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, you know, as we had read verses 1 through 3, Paul is going to begin by defending his apost- you know, apostolic credentials in the light of some type of disdain that some of the Corinthian Christians had for Paul compared to the other teachers. Or, can I use it this, this word with you all? Imposters. Imposters. That's that's a word we need to start using today. There are imposters within the church. There are wolves among sheep. And if we don't know the Bible, how do we know who they are? Because they can sound very good. They can tickle the ear. You know, just this week, I 
I was visiting uh, on my day off. You know, I, I do, many of you know, I, I do inspections around commercial and residential. And I was doing a large commercial inspection for a, <clears throat> a building in this area. And it, it supposed to be a church. And as I was looking at this uh, and listening to how everything was being drawn up and, and the whole uh, mechanism, can I use that word? Because that's, that's the only word I can think of. The mechanism of what the church would be there, it wasn't surrounded or centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it was all about entertainment. When I even heard the folks, he says, we really know how to draw them in. And, and they had no idea that I was a, a pastor, nor did I, I, I certainly didn't, didn't, you know, want to burden that person at that moment. I, I didn't think in humility there was any reason to, to do that. But I just said, boy, the word of God has a whole lot to say about how we plant churches. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I, and I just left it to that, and I didn't say it in a condescending way. I said it in an encouraging way. Hey, boy, it would be great to get back to the Word and figure out what that looks like, you know, because certainly Calvary Chapel or any other church or denomination doesn't have a lock on the gospel. The Bible is the way that we learn how to do church, if we can say it that way, the gathering of the saints for the work of the ministry, right? So the equipping for the work of the ministry, better put. So as I was going through that, I looked at all the things that they were building out, you know, stables. They called them stables. Stables for children in areas where they had overflow for the children where they could, you know, and, and breakouts and, and all these things. And I just kept thinking, well, how does each child know that they're loved by Jesus if they never get to hear it from a teacher or be invested in, into by a teacher? And then I looked at this this room, and, I, and there's certainly nothing wrong with having a room that can seat a thousand or more people. I understand that, you know. Um, but the whole area behind it, they had, I won't use the terms, but they had, um, you know, performance areas. I mean, just in the name, performance. And that's when I started to think, that's what this is, isn't it, to, to some folks? It's, it's a performance. And, and if you're coming in and you're excited and you're emotional and, you're being, and they're playing to that and they're playing off of your emotion, you know, oh my, absolutely. Can they, can they cause us to have a, an emotional movement that way? Can they cause a, a moving of our, of our flesh by, by getting us into kind of lathering it up? And I, and I started thinking about, wow. We're really, really simple. And then I'm like, but so is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just was encouraged by that because I started to realize there are choices out there. There are imposters. And they are doing it, as Paul wrote thousands of years ago, for financial gain. And that's exactly what I saw. And, and I thought, well, Clearly, this must be mistaken or, or, or a lack of understanding. Oh, no, this was very programmatic in what they were doing. And, and I just thought, oh, my. And it was how many they, you know. So if you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, I, I think we're going to get a little bit of Paul's perspective here. As we, we begin here in, in verse 5, he says, For I consider that I am not at all inferior to the most eminent apostles, right? Even though I am untrained, that word in the Greek means 
uh, not polished in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. But we have been thoroughly manifested among you in all things. Did I commit sin in humbling myself that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel to you free of charge? You see, he comes back to that. Was, was that a stumbling? Was that, did I do, did I sin because of that? I robbed other churches taking wages from them to minister to you. This is, this is strong language. The word I robbed is what they would use commonly in the Greek to describe uh, a, a soldier that was dead. And then rather than laying that soldier to, to rest, you would go through and you'd begin to strip the garments and the weaponry off that soldier, not in any way having respect for his service or his dead body or his family like that, that may want those uh, items as, as, a, as a token of remembrance. That, that's, that's what we see here. I mean, it's, it's, it's heavy. I robbed other churches, taking wages from them to minister to you. And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia supplied. Who's he talking about? He's talking about the church at Philippi, the Philippians. Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 through 18. These describing how they had a desire to support the work of the ministry through the gospel, and they would send love offerings to Paul to provide for him while he was in this area ministering to Ephesus or um, Corinth. And in everything, I kept myself from being uh, burdensome to you. And so I will keep myself. So you could see the irony in here of what Paul's saying. If Paul was really saying, oh, I committed a sin, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be coming back and saying, and I'm going to keep doing it. Because if Paul had recognized it was a sin, he would do what? He would repent and turn away from that sin. That's not what Paul's saying here. It, there's, a, there's a degree of irony in this. As the truth of Christ is in me, no one shall stop me from this boasting in the regions of Acacia. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows. He's saying certainly sarcastically, that's not the reason. But what I do, I will also continue to do that I may cut off the opportunity, here it is, from those who desire an opportunity to be regarded just as we are in the things of which they boast. What's he talking about? False prophets false teachers, those that are using God and the gospel to peddle something, to draw money, to, to, get, to reap financial gain. Look what he says. Why? For such are false prophets, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And, and he says, you know who did something like that, that tries to appear? He says, Satan, Lucifer. Right? And no wonder, this is the ambition behind it, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. He appears to do things of, of good deed, but the heart is far wicked and far from God. Therefore, it is no great thing if he ministers, if his ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. He says, it's very clear. He says, even all the fallen angels, if, if Lucifer can do that, cannot the angels appear, you know, fallen angels appear as though they're angels of light in working through men and women, having them do things that are evil? 
you know, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And, and he's drawing their attention to that. He, he warned that he wanted to be separate from these false teachers, right? He, he, he's calling him, you know, they, they, they're calling themselves an apostle, but they weren't. They were, they were peddling, again, a false gospel for, the, for greed and fleecing sheep. They were, they were trying to commercialize the church. Church is never to be commercialized in Scripture, Jesus rebuked the religious leaders when they tried to make a church a den of thieves, a marketplace of entertainment. It's not a new idea, right? Paul wanted to, <laughs> Paul was trying to explain that that was what was under, undergirding or underlying in the church of Corinth. And I, I like this passage because it's a constant reminder for you and I that we're not to be looking at all for a brand, we're not to be looking in church for a brand or even a pattern in ministry. Anything that revolves around something of the fingerprints of man, because that's an idol, an idol. It's idolatry. It's like making a golden calf when we try to strive to do something in our labors. You know, what, what we're to do is we're to preach Jesus and him crucified. That, that's what you and I hold on to. That's, that's church. That's the body of Christ. And anything apart from that is a work of man. And a work of man plus Jesus is what again? That's a religion and not a relationship. You see, God wants us to be keen. He wants us to be wise to these things. That we would be good stewards with the gospel. That we wouldn't turn around and just continue to kind of use a herd mentality. Or allow groupthink to, to manipulate us into sitting in some place where we're not supposed to be. We need to sit under the word of God. We need to, we need to find our... We're never closer to Christ than when we're reading his word, experiencing the afflictions and persecutions... And finding joy in all things. That's the gospel as well. You know? Let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Let's look at verse 13 here. Well, I'm going to back up of, uh, to verse 11 if that's all right. You see, Paul doesn't want it to be about Paul. He, he wants it to be about Jesus. And, and I hope this isn't, boring anybody here. I, I hope this isn't uh, um, stealing your joy this morning. My, my calling, like much like yours, in that we are heirs and co-heirs of Christ, we are to be ministers of the gospel, is to make sure that we're biblically sound and make sure when we present the gospel, we present the truth without compromise. But if we don't know the truth, then, then how do we know? Some of you may know this. Some of you may have studied this in depth. And wonderful. I'm, I'm glad you're here. Come along your brother and sister and encourage them. But for those, maybe you've never studied this passage. Maybe you, you don't know these things. And in reading Corinthians, maybe you didn't understand exactly what Paul was trying to communicate by these false prophets, these deceivers, and why he keeps saying, am I not one of the most, you know, the imminent apostles here? Am I not any different than Cephas or, or any different than even Apollos or anybody like that? And, and have I not given up my rights? Should you all not likely give up your rights? You know, where's grace? 
in a, in a circumstance of wrongdoing. Where is grace? Can we not demonstrate that grace? Or is it only grace when it's not pertaining to us or, or the way we've been wronged, right? Remember, we read about that in Romans. But, but look here in 11, I have become a fool in boasting. You've compelled me, <laughs> for, I, for I ought to have been commended by you. For in nothing was I behind the most eminent apostles. Though I'm nothing, truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you. Remember, we read that last week. With all perseverance in signs and wonders and in mighty deeds, he, he looked back at the church of Corinth. He says, you are the fruit of that work. You, you bear witness by being the fruit of that church plan in Corinth, the church of Corinth. He says, that is demonstration of my apostleship. And also, by the way, that I had received direct revelation from Jesus Christ and spent time with him and, you know, as he was going through that. And then he says, for what is it in which you were inferior to other churches? Boy, if, if I could ask this question today, because, you know, one of the things that I remember as we were planting and beginning, um, you know, what programs do you have? You know, do you remember Railroad Avenue where we, we kind of really, even Prosser Hall where we got started? We had one room for children's ministry at one time. You know, what programs? And I, and I can remember families coming in and, and, and like almost eyeing it up as though to, to determine, you know, somehow that's fruit of a successful ministry. Rather than realizing that the teacher that walked into that room with those children would die for every one of those kids. Because he or she loved them. And when those kids walked out of there, they walked out of there with the word of God. Right? Humble digs, man. Humble digs. But I can remember people would turn around and, you know, you'd get visitors and, oh, oh wow, okay. You know? I wonder if that still happens sometimes, you know? You know, we, we've gotten so used to pleasure and comfort. You know, do we judge churches by the building? rather than disciples that have made a home in it. You see, that's the church. If you look at the out exterior of the building and everything else, I mean, look, God's blessed us here. This is a nice, comfortable place we're gathering. Don't misunderstand me. But if we're looking at the building to determine the, the leading of God in the ministry, we've got the wrong rubric. We've got the wrong measurement. We're, we're looking in the wrong places. He says to him, he says, were you inferior to other churches in any way, Corinth? I mean, remember, this is Sin City. They're in one of the most heavily populated areas of sin, temple prostitution, over a thousand. I mean, all the things that were going on that day. And he says, were you not loved? Were you not given the gospel? Were you not taught for a year and a half as I was there? The word of God? What more could you want, Corinth? And yet the gospel went forward, but you all are fighting and infighting and bickering and sinning and having sexual immorality and getting drunk at the communion table. And you're, you're not behaving like Christians. You're behaving more like the world. What's that teach you and I? That the word doesn't return void, but there has to be something for the believer when he or she comes into the building and they sit down. What do we pray every 
morning or every evening before a study. Lord, we lay the things down of the week. Open our hearts. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your spirit has to say. We have to come prepared. It doesn't just happen. I mean, many times we may come in with things going on and heavy. I, I, I know I, I can do the same thing as I can come in and be heavy with the cares of the week. And, uh, and God has a really awesome supernatural way of just going, ding, and just, right? And he, and he just hits the cord. And we're like, okay, I'm listening, you know? And, and he is such a gentle God. That's why man doesn't need to, to, as I mentioned, patterns or methods or forms. He doesn't need to do any of that. He just needs to preach the word of God and trust the Holy Spirit to give the application. That's what we read in scripture. Anything else again above that or beyond that is a work of man. And if we're not wise to it, we can be entertained by that. We can be drawn in by that. And I'll tell you what, if you come for the circus, you're going to have to stay for the peanuts. Otherwise, you're going to end up leaving because you're no longer entertained. You laugh. I wish I could say that was my saying. That was Pastor Chuck Smith saying. You, you, you turn around and you create something like that to entertain the people. You're going to be entertaining them week after week. But you lead with the word of God. The believers in Christ that want Jesus, they're going to come back. They're going to be the ones, you know, you don't have to worry about the giving. They're going to be the ones that be our faithful givers because they know the commandments of scripture. You don't, you don't need to have to worry about, uh, uh, you know, all the maturity that goes through with, with discipleship. Because the brothers and sisters in Christ aren't going to walk out of the, the building until they know every brother or sister has been ministered to. Maybe somebody's sitting off on a corner alone that morning. There's going to be brothers and sisters going to be looking around. And they're going to have an eye towards discipleship. And they're going to want to make sure that brother or sister is ministered to. It's not, we don't read. I mean, look at what the apostles, you go back to Acts chapter 6. They actually distanced themselves at one point. What were they doing? They were giving themselves to prayer, fasting, and what? The word of God. At that point, what, what did we see? The rise up of, of deacons, of servants. This is biblical. This is the way you and I are to behave. This is the way the, the church grows and multiplies and, and meets each other's burdens and needs. For what is it that you were inferior to other churches except that I myself was not burdensome to you? And then he sarcastically says again, what? Forgive me this wrong. We already know it wasn't a sin. He already described it earlier, right? He says, I'm going to keep on doing it. Paul didn't want it to be about Paul. He wanted it to be about Jesus in Corinth, right? And because they were unable, because they were not mature, he wouldn't allow them to financially support him because he didn't want there to be any strings attached, right? He, he knew that there would be the potential, as we read earlier, right, up here where he says, for such as apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. Verse 13, he knew that, that in verse 12, people would take that opportunity to be regarded just as he was. He was protecting the flock as a good under-shepherd, right? That's what he was doing here. He wasn't going to let this, the gospel become something that could be bought or peddled. He challenged them. He says, in what way were you treated inferior to other churches? Again, sarcastic in the way he responds, but, you know, 
he didn't take a love offering. And it was only because of the maturity of the way they could handle the word of God. They, they, they weren't willing to receive it. They couldn't hear it. Do you remember he actually said that in the first few chapters? He says, you know, is there not any mature among you that can even weigh in in chapter six of what's going on with a brother or sister that you could judge right, you know, righteously? What are you doing going to the courts? That's where you're going to get your, 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 your judges, those that are not saved, instead of coming in and dealing with the civil issues within the church and the pastorship and sitting down and talking about these things and then opening the Bible and seeing what God has to say to the hearts and each person's life. He says, you know, clearly not talking about criminal issues, but he says, what are you doing? If I could paraphrase and say it in a modern vernacular, I, I, my notes, I put, what can you possibly complain about other than I'm not willing to financially support you or be supported by you um, and I cut off this opportunity because of the charlatans, the apostles, because I know they want to fleece the sheep and it's going to, it's going to confuse the work of the gospel. I mean, that's basically what he was saying, right? Is that your chief complaint? Is that all you got? That's what you're bringing forward in the letter you wrote to me and the, and everything from Phoebe, like that's, that was it. That's the thing that you want to talk about. He says, well, then forgive me this wrong. If, if that's it, then forgive me this wrong. You can turn back to chapter 9. For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For I, if I do this willingly, I have, a, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge, that I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. So he says, woe if I do not preach the gospel. You know, often this is a, 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 one of the passages that sometimes an under-shepherd or someone believes that the Lord's calling them to ministry will, will receive a passage like this in Scripture. And, and Paul's ministry here. Uh, was not a matter of choice, no different than the under-shepherd or, or, or a pastor in that way. They don't, you don't get to choose that, right? No different than someone gets to choose to be a prophet compared to, you know, in the Old Testament, a priest. It was a calling. It was something he was called, something he had to do. And, and this is also important. He wasn't just presented with a need. There are a lot of needs today, aren't there? How do you know which need you're to respond to? Because there's so many needs. You know, I, I can remember early on uh, when I was down here, there was a, a, a pastor in downtown Harrisburg. He had gotten sick. He ended up having some kidney issues and uh, was unable to continue doing, uh, fulfilling the, the, the pastorate there. And uh, one of his elders had come to a Bible study. And he had heard the word of God go forward. And, he, you know, first time at a Calvary kind of thing, line by line. He said, I've never heard teaching like that. You remember when we all, I say we, because I one time before I was at a Calvary, I remember that too. You know, line by line teaching. Man, I'd never heard the exegesis of the word of God like that, right? Um, and he came in, he says, will you come down and meet with us? And I said, sure. But I, I, I thought it was more or less to pray for the other pastor. Well, as I got down there and uh, met with him, a sweet, sweet man, um, and 
you know, he loved the flock. He loved the flock. There was a, a couple hundred people there at the time. And um, it was an inner city uh, church, inner city missions, inner city work. And, you know, I immediately, my heart was oh, broken for this man because I knew, you know, his health was failing and this is what God had called him to do. And he was part of a denomination. And so he was waiting for the, you know, the denomination to send someone and they weren't timely in how they were doing that. And he was worried, what's going to happen to the flock? That's a, that's a good pastor. That's a good under shepherd. All right. That, that's the right heart. I, I was like, amen. You know, he really cared. He is. He, and so he was looking and he said, Hey, what would you, you know, would it be all right if you came and pastored this church? There's a need here. And he said, you know, at the time, I think, you know, years ago, I think you had what a hundred people. He said, so, you know, Clearly, the Lord's gift, you know, why don't you come down here? The Lord's clearly called you, you know, we'll give you the budget. We'll hand everything over to you. You know, we'll give you the finances. Instant church, okay? Can I say it that way? And um, I thought about it for a minute. I said, man, there's a need. What's going to happen with these 200 or however many people down there? And I remember calling back with my brother at Philly. I called up a... pastor in Philly. I called mine in Finger Lakes. And I said, guys, I just want to ask you a question. I said, there's a real need. I'll never forget. A very humbling response. Are you Jesus? Oh, that's not what I expected. I expected awesome. Yeah. How are you going to do that? He says, I have a question for you. He says, where did God call you? He said, at that time, as he called me to plant a line by line, a church that teaches line by line and verse by verse. He said, what do we call that? I said, that's, you know, Calvary Chapel. That's, that's the movement. He said, yeah. He says, can he put you in two different places to be doing two different things like that? Will you be evenly and equally yoked? Do you believe that God knits a man to the people and a people to that man? I said, you know, I do. You know, I do. And he said, so why are you doubting God's ability to meet the need for that group of believers. Boy, that was a wake-up call. That really changed everything for me as I began to see things. Right? I, 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 certainly, I would not look at anybody here and say, are you Jesus? But, but I mean, that was, it got through, laser, 2020, right through. I, I got what he was saying. But when you think about it, when you all think about it for a minute, Are you not all a royal priesthood? Are you not all given a great commission? Are you not all to be preaching the gospel? I want to ask you a question. When's the last time you did that? Do you have this burden for the great commission as Paul had a burden to be an under shepherd or pastor? If you do have that burden, what are you doing with it? Are you acknowledging the calling? Are you willing to give up all for that? Because it's not a halfway kind of thing. He says, woe if I do not preach and teach the word of God. Woe. He, He couldn't let it go. He couldn't lay it down. I remember the early years, you know, when, when I first got that calling and the desire to think, how is my family going to be taken care of? How, how are we going to live? How are we going to pay our bills? All the things that go with walking away from that career that 14 years I had spent my life building. 
that God had provided, by the way. How's this all going to work? Maybe, maybe I heard wrong. It's just easier to hear wrong. You can't. You can't lay it down. It consumes you. you. And then when you step into the calling, you know, a lot of guys I hear sometimes, all right, 10 years. I'll do it for 10 years. <laughs> and I, I laugh because you ain't going nowhere until God tells you you're going somewhere. You know why? Because you can't. Not if it's a true calling of the Lord. You will never be able to release that. You will never be able to let that go. It will consume you. Now, I know not all of you are called to be pastors here. I get that. But all of you are called to be ministers of the Great Commission, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it consuming you? Woe if you do not have that opportunity to give what has been given to you so faithfully to others. God's calling isn't a vocation. It's not a job. It's a way of life, much like it was for the Old Testament prophets. It's the most difficult thing that you will ever acknowledge and do in your life. The desire to serve others as Christ, that's the measurement. That's the measurement for each and every one of us here this morning. To get out of the way so that Jesus is worshipped and it never reeks of man. It was never about Paul's we've been reading here. As we read in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians and chapter 11, it was never about Paul. It was never even really about the matter of apostleship other than he was trying to say there were false, you know, apostles around you or, or imposters. It was so that we could decrease and Christ could increase in each and every one of our lives. And friends, that has not changed. That message of the gospel has not changed. That should still be the aim of the preacher. That should be the aim of the disciple. And that should be the aim of simply the child of God. A child of God that way. Paul cannot boast in that. He's saying it's a necessity of his calling. No man or woman can boast of that. There's nobody here that can boast of that. We did nothing to be chosen. As we just read last few Wednesdays ago, as we're studying Deuteronomy in, in the book, as we read about Israel, Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 6 through 9. We read about that. It was always his love and why he chose Israel. And friends, it's always his love why he chose you and I. There's nothing spectacular about you. Or me. That's humbling. That's good. Because then we acknowledge God and the gifting of God and the glory of God. And it's not even a gifted man. There are, you know, Paul has already been dealing with that. He says, I'm not a polished man of speech. He says, when, when people hear, oh, you've got a good mouthpiece. Or, or you're a good orator. Or boy, you have a, you have a good tongue. You know, people hear that. that. That's the worst thing you could hear. When you hear that, run the other direction. Because when you start acknowledging gifts like that and, and strive, oh, get ready. Because you're going to fall. Because that pride puddle you're going to step into, you're going to be walking around carrying that water all day, all dripping off you. It's going to reek of pride. Does God gift? Oh, yes. But God gives a measure to which we can handle 
as we are more surrendered, the giftings increase because we can handle those things. Do you think God in any way would try to ensnare or trap you? Do you want to know why you're all not rich and why the the faith and prosperity gospel is a complete and utter lie? Because if we were all wealthy in here, we'd be wrecked and God would be to blame. If he turned around and poured out all that money and knowing that we didn't have the ability to handle it and couldn't be good stewards with it, he'd be setting us up for what? For failure. But God doesn't do that. So am I saying some of you, you should be grateful you're not rich? Absolutely, I'm saying that. Did you ever thank God for that? Did you ever thank God, thank you for giving me, not giving me more than what I should have? Because if I had more, what would I do with that? Would it distract me and pull me away from you and not draw me closer to you? I pray that often. I thank God for the humility that he's allowing me to experience right now in so many different ways of my life. Is it easy all the time? No. Do I, do I have my, my, my whining you know, sessions with God? Absolutely. I, we're all like that, right? We all do that. But at the end, I realize, and just like David, I begin to praise him again because I sit there and go, gosh, Lord, you let me whine. You let me go through that whole thing like Job or like David did. And then you allow me to see and work through this at the end in the spirit. And I come all the way full circle back to go, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you did not give me what I asked for and prayed out of your will. Thank you. Oh my, that would have set me back. That would, have, that would have put me in a place of stumbling and stumbling others. Back to the passage, Paul says that I had to preach the gospel and that I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. Why does he say that? Because in Paul's day, there were a lot of religious salesmen, just as there is today. They're out to get money. Do you know that I looked up some of the salaries of pastors, some of the wealthiest pastors? 20 and $40 million. Oh, yes, look it up. Man, you can Google anything today. Doesn't mean it's always true, but you can, you can look it up. You start to look at the net worth of these guys, and you're like, What? That's not, name one apostle where we get that as a demonstration or example. Name one disciple where even Barnabas, who had much, what did he do? He sold all his possession. I'm not saying that we all need to do that today. But my point was, is he was giving. He wasn't hoarding. Did he, did he have enough to provide and eat? And yeah, Of course. Does God want that for all of you? Yes, absolutely. That's not what we're talking because that can get twisted either. We're not asceticism. We're not to, we're not to turn around and, and, and you know, be impo- impoverished on purpose. You know, you, you, you heard my story about that. You know, I read that book, True Discipleship. Uh, McDonald wrote a great book. My pastor had given it to me. I read, you know, I go home and, man, we've got so much. We need to get rid of this. Lisa, we're selling the China cabinet. Why are we selling your China cabinet? Well, you got a John Deere over here. So we sold the China cabinet. A year later, she gives away the John Deere, right? So, you know, and I'm like, yeah, all in. So, man alive, right? But, but you go through that and you realize that's not what it's about, right? It, it, it's, it's just, what are we storing up? And, you know, I, that's what it is. Don't store up. That's what he's saying. You know, it's one thing to have a little bit, but it's another thing to have so much. And because, you know, you do get that mistwisting of scripture, but it is important. The kingdom of God is at hand. And our resources are part of what God uses to further the kingdom. Does he need any one of us? No. 
That's why it's the privilege. That's why we're to be hilarious givers. That's why we're to enjoy doing that. But he didn't need any one of us. He, he finds it a privilege to use us in that way. You know? But again, you, Paul's trying to protect them from these slick, you know, gospel peddlers. And as we read in 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, Paul was going to distance himself from that. He was never going to take an offering. So no one would think that he would do what? He would abuse his authority. In what? What does it say in your Bible? His authority in the gospel. Did you realize that you have an authority in the gospel? You see, that was Paul's reward. That alone was his, Paul, his reward. And we must, we must ask the question, what rights are you willing to sacrifice for the cause of Jesus? Are you really and truly willing to forsake all for Jesus? Remember, it's, it, it, it's your whole heart. What do you have in your heart? Your heart is divided with what? Chambers, right? Blood comes in, blood comes out. You, you know the anatomy. I want you to think about that for a minute. Life can be like that. We can compartmentalize our lives, work, home, hobbies, friends. All of those can be chambers in our hearts. But Christ wants all of our heart. Christ is the only one that can bridge those chambers. He's the only one that can tear those chambers down. Why do I say that? Because it shouldn't be where we turn around and we have a moment a moment, if I can say it this way, where we look at our lives and say, well, I'm a Christian here, but when I go into my office because I want to be politically correct and not be offensive to anyone, I, I mask that. Or I go into my home and, and, and I, I don't want to create a problem in my home with my children or my family or fill in the blank. Christ should permeate every aspect of your heart, every chamber you have. I can't imagine what it's like to live as a charlatan, as a facade. One way with certain company and another way with mixed company. I, I can't imagine what you must be going through. The, 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 it, it's almost like somebody that would be a habitual liar, trying to always remember everything so they can keep their story straight. Having to live your lives like you walk into this chamber of your life, this compartment, and having to think about what you're going to say so deliberately as to not turn around and say, I don't want people to know that I'm a Christian. Or I don't want to be, offend people because I am a Christian. The work that that must take you. The way that must consume you. At the end of the night, you must be exhausted, tired. I, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you do it. You see, the bridges can be formed and the chambers broken down to form a complete heart centered on his love for others, obviously our love for him, and those willing to give up their rights. And that's the example of serving the Father and serving others. That's what that looks like. And that means in every aspect of our lives, we need to hold that dear. And we're going to close with that because of time here this morning. We, we didn't get as far as I would have liked. But there's so much in just these passages and verses for the days we're living. Because, friends, 
And I don't say it, look, this can happen in any church. Please understand my heart. I'm not saying we've arrived. We haven't. You all know that. We have not arrived. We all need to run the race as Paul's going to you know, describe. We all need to do that. But if we don't get this right, you know, the Lord has blessed us, hasn't he? We, we've seen growth. The Lord has been growing us. You know, the church, first service, even first service is growing, second service. The Lord's growing us. We don't want to get these things wrong. We don't want to get these things wrong and then end up 500 and 1,000. And, and we look back and go, what happened? Because we didn't disciple. We didn't turn around and teach the commandments and statutes and judgments of God. And, and I fail you or the, the, the staff or the ministry failed. And you end up at this place where you went, well, what's the difference between us and, you know, programs are us over here. I want you to think about that. This is a new beginning for all of us. God established a new work five years ago. We've been in this building all, what, a year and a half. God is doing a new work in every one of us. Just like this church is a new work for the remnant of Christ that want his truth and the word and not willing to compromise, we're not everybody's cup of tea, Right? If you, if, I'll put it this way. If you don't love Jesus and you don't love the word, you ain't staying very long here. Other than you might go, wow, what's going on with the love? You know, there's a lot of love here. I don't, I, I've not experienced that before. So maybe that'll be there in the beginning. But then after you hear it enough times, it's not about you, right? Because God has a real precious way of doing that in my heart. He is quite often reminds me of that. Yeah, as the Lord can remind me so quickly of that, guess what? If they don't allow Jesus in and they don't allow that, you know, that tearing up of that soil and that ground to create new, they're going to look for something that makes them feel good. Something that, as the Bible said, will tickle their ears. And these are the last days. And that's why you all, it is very important. You all have been given a mission in these last days. And you heard it here because you heard it from the word of God. Go forward, or therefore go to all nations and generations to do what? To preach the gospel of Jesus Christ in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You all now realize you have a plan and a purpose for your lives, and time is short. And everywhere you go, everything matters. Every thought you have, every circumstance you're in, everything you're doing has a divine plan and purpose. And God has chosen you. And God, because of your hearts of seeking truth, all of you must have prayed to God, God, I want more of you. Give me your truth. So he sent you to a small church where the word of God was opened and you came in and you heard the word of God directly and you went, oh. and you just began to rest for a minute. I'm not alone. There are other like-minded believers. There are other people that don't want to play church and don't want to play Christian. It's not me and I'm not crazy. Amen? Rejoice. You have the family of God and the support of Jesus behind you. What can't you do? Let's stand and pray. I want you to think about that as you go in your work this week. Man, be looking for that. Divine appointment. 
tear those chambers down if that's you. If you need prayer for that this morning before you leave, our, our um, elders will come up, our would-be elders. We'll have a bunch of guys up front. If you need prayer, don't walk out of here without getting the prayer you need. Don't walk out of here. It can be, the reset button can be pushed in a minute. Just allow humility to set in. Just, just seek him with all of your heart, all of your mind, and with all of your soul. Father, we thank you. Lord, thank you for your precious word. Thank you that you lead, Lord. God, you know I had planned to go in a different direction here this morning. But God, I, I, I bear witness to what you said here. Lord, I thank you for saying it to my heart. Thank you for reminding me why I'm here, Lord, and every one of us are here. It's you, Jesus. Thank you for the protection you've given us. Thank you that we're not caught up in some type of circus. Lord, I know I came out of one before I came into a church that taught the Bible. Thank you, God, for that protection. Lord, I pray for all those disciples, true believers, Lord, that are scattered throughout these churches today that are not teaching your word. God, I pray that you would show them that there are churches that will open the Bible, that will put you preeminent, that will worship you and praise you and take your name and reverently fear you, Lord, and that will follow your commandments and statutes and your judgments and want to know everything about you, Jesus that their whole lives center on knowing you more and being known by you more. God, I pray that this morning you will light the fire in every one of us here again and that we walk out of here more in love, Lord, more ready to serve God, more available. And Jesus, forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for the things that we've done that have gone contrary to the Spirit. But God, we lay them down and we will not pick them up. It is separate as far as from the east, as far as it is from the west, Lord. There is no condemnation. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah, Lord. That we don't have to be beaten down any longer. That we don't have to be in prison. That we are free. Lord, I pray you continue to develop tighter relationships with the body of Christ here. Brothers and sisters, having dinner and lunch and breakfast together, enjoying each other in the koinonia of your spirit. God, I pray that until you come, Lord, that you would continue to multiply each and every one of us. Lord, you'd fill up this first service with people hungry to learn about your word. People that have been, Lord, feeling like they're alone on their last uh, bit of faith, Lord, that they, they think, God, have you forgotten me? Please, God, draw them in and let them know they will never be forgotten because of you, Jesus. You're a promise keeper. We pray all this according to your spirit here this morning. God, that it would be all in your will. And if our will or our, if my, if my prayer here is wrong, and it would, let it just be removed from your heart and thought, Jesus. But if it is, God, and it bears witness in your will, I pray your will be done, Jesus Christ. And I pray this in your holy name and all God's people prayed. Amen, amen. God bless you all, and I love you all.